Chapter 15 I thought you came to get your key back, Mr. Stambridge asked Jenny, not to sneak into Mrs. Gently's desk. I did get my key back, Jenny said, holding up the squidduckin key for a moment, then putting it quickly into her bag. And you, James, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Cheating on the code-breaking competition. I'm not cheating, James was almost shouting. Mrs. Gently hasn't let us look at the puzzle sheet at all. Not even once. And the other classes have spent hours on it. And we haven't had any time at all. It's just not fair. And, Jenny added, he hasn't technically cheated. The puzzle sheet is still in the classroom. Mr. Stanbridge pursed his lips. James realised that he and Jenny had gone too far. They were in the wrong, and it was right that they got told off. There really was no excuse for breaking into Mrs. Gently's desk. I'm sorry, Mr. S., he said, putting the puzzle sheet back into the drawer. We shouldn't be in here. James slid the drawer closed and started to walk across the classroom. Wait, Mr. Stanbridge said. Bring the sheet here, then come with me. All James wanted was to get out of the school. He wished he'd left the classroom when Jenny had said. And now they were going to be in much more trouble. Slowly, he went back to the desk, opened the drawer, and pulled out the puzzle sheet. He couldn't even bring himself to look at the cryptograms. But he did notice a pile of clothes and a pair of shoes on the floor under the desk. It looked like one of Mrs. Gently's shapeless dresses. He took the puzzle sheet to Mr. Stanbridge. The teacher led them back downstairs. He turned away from the main entrance and along the corridor next to the small hall. James gulped. He was sure they were going to the head teacher's office. When they reached the staff room, they stopped. Wait out here. Mr. S. went inside and closed the door behind him. James and Jenny waited silently, wondering who Mr. S. was going to bring out to tell them off. Perhaps Mrs. Gently was still working, and Mr. S. was explaining what he'd caught them doing. To James's surprise, Mr. S. came back out alone. I know for a fact, he said quietly, in perhaps a conspiratorial tone, that 6-H has been getting help from at least two teachers and the caretaker, and I have given my class three full afternoons to crack the codes, and we used a whole hour in the computer room. I'm not saying that Mrs. Gently is wrong, but I do think that it would be only fair if you at least had a fighting chance. He looked at James, then at Jenny. They both looked back silently. So I've made a copy for you. He held out the original puzzle sheet in one hand and a photocopy in the other. The rules say that the sheet mustn't leave the classroom, so I'm going to put the original back in Mrs. Gently's desk and the other one in your tray, James. But it's not to leave the classroom. Do I make myself clear? Yes, Mr. S., James said. Thanks. Now, I don't want either of you sneaking around the school again. If I catch you, I'll have no choice but to tell Mrs. Gently and to report you to the head. Off you go. He shooed them along the corridor. They didn't need any encouragement. Seconds later, they were outside in the cold, dark, damp air. I can't believe we got away with it, James said. Neither can I, Jenny said. I was sure we were going to get at least a detention. There was no time for celebrating, however. Asthma was still kidnapped, and soon the stone of Brighthelm would be under attack. They ran down the hill as fast as they could, and minutes later they were outside the Sentinelms, breathing hard. James went in first. He wanted to talk to Hegel to explain what had happened to Asthma. The two children rushed into the inner chamber, 
and found Hegel on the fungal shelf settee, snoring lightly under a blanket. Hegel, James said, we need to get the stone. The hedgehog stirred, then opened one eye. What? Hegel said with a yawn. Asma's been kidnapped, Jenny said. We think that she'll be taken far enough away for the Sentinelm's full power to be focused away from the rockery. Kidnapped? Hegel sat up, the blanket slipped off onto the settee. When? About half an hour ago, James said. But I've got the Squiduckin key, so we can move the stone to keep it safe. Hang on, the hedgehog said. Wait a minute. Hold your horses. Where's the girl now? She could be miles away, Jenny said. Then we don't have a moment to lose. Follow me. The hedgehog rolled off the settee, then paused, gathered up the blanket under one arm, and shuffled over to where the kettle was hanging. It then proceeded to open a small cupboard, rummage around, and pull out a large corn on the cob, which it stuffed on top of the blanket under its arm. Hegel hurried out of the chamber, not past James and Jenny to the entrance crack, but deeper into the tree. On the way, it grabbed a pike that was leaning against a mushroom, or toadstool. The two children followed quickly after. The passage was dark and damp and sloped steeply downward. It reminded James of the King Under the Fort's tunnel up on the hill. They had not gone far before it levelled out, then ascended. Then they reached the end of the tunnel. Careful now, Hegel said. The children ended up cramped behind the hedgehog in a tight space, as if they were playing sardines, only with a creature that had sharp spines on its back. Hegel was fiddling with something in front of them. One of Hegel's spines poked James's knee and he moved away. His arm touched against something, then he heard a scraping sound and a clattering filled the air. Hang on, I just need to... There was a click. A door opened in front of them and they all tumbled out onto a hard stone floor. James picked himself up and helped Jenny up and realised they were outside in the rockery. He looked back. They had come out through a small shed built into the hill right next to the pond. It was filled with pond maintenance equipment. James glanced around nervously. Chimera and her foxes could be close by. Jenny shut the shed door behind them. This way. Quiet now. Hegel led them round under the willow tree next to the pond. It put the blanket down, but kept the pike firmly gripped in one paw and the corn on the cob in the other. Where's the door? James asked, looking closely at the trunk of the willow tree for anything that looked like a keyhole. Door? Hegel sounded confused. There's no door. Then where's the stone of Brighthelm? Jenny asked. Like I said, it's well protected. But if you do what I say, we've got a good chance of finding it. Hegel spent two minutes explaining the task. Isn't there an easier way? Jenny asked. Surely the foxes would never be able to find the carp. There's no easy way, Hegel shook its head. And when the Sentinelms stop protecting this place, the foxes will catch Henry. You're telling me, James said that in the pond is a huge carp called Henry, and we have to catch him and unlock the stone from a special... What did you call it? A girdlepix. And his name's not Henry. It's Enri. En, then Re. Girdlepix, James almost laughed. You made that up. Well, if you've got a better name for something that is strapped to the tail of a huge fish and holds a powerful stone, then I'd like to hear it. 
It doesn't matter what it's called, Jenny said. It matters that in order to do this, one of us has to go underwater fishing in there. She pointed into the freezing water of the pond. Well, I'm not going, Hegel said. I'm a hedgehog. I'll go, James said. My summer holiday was in the Alps this year, and I went swimming in a stream fed by a glacier. I can't believe the pond is colder than that. Just go through it all again. James started taking off his clothes while Hegel explained what he had to do. The stone of Brighthelm was locked to the back of an extremely large and extremely shy carp, called Enri. Apparently, the best way to get Enri to come up from the deep was to lure him with corn on the cob. Carp loved it, and Enri could eat a whole one. Now, whoever was in charge of sorting all this out years ago did think that one day the stone might be needed again, so they added a special fishing line. Okay, James was down to just his underpants and was shivering in the wintry air. I'm going to wade out to where the willow tree branches touch the water, and you say that one of them is a fishing line. Yes, you'll spot it when you get there. Follow it all the way down, and you can unhook it. Put the cob on the hook, and Henry will snap it up. Then you can unlock the girdle picks. Sitting with the squiduck and key around his neck, and the corn on the cob in one hand, James carefully dipped one foot into the icy water. If he hadn't already been frozen by the frigid air, and shivering so hard he could barely hold the cob, he would have gasped. As it was, the pond was just immensely, bitterly cold. James knew how cold water works. Either you got straight in, or you slowly worked your way in, an inch of skin at a time. Well, he didn't have all night. He took a deep breath, held his chattering teeth tightly together, squeezed the corn on the cob hard, closed his eyes, and slipped off the edge stone into the dark water. <laughs>